This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you guys are finishing up the week. Doing well, hanging in there, doing your thing. Oh, what a week it's been. The news is never dull, never dry. It's, it's fascinating how... Um, it's really dynamic times these days. It really is. New study shows that the uh, scent of your partner can improve your sleep efficiency. I get that. It's very soothing. It's normalizing, especially if that person's frequently sleeping over. It becomes a habit. People often ask, why do I not sleep well when there's someone new sleeping over? Well, it's a natural, evolutionarily uh, built-in protective mechanism. We're not supposed to be able to you know, sleep, which is when we're at our most vulnerable, around what might be perceived as danger. And if you're not familiar or comfortable with that individual or not a heavy sleeper, often we register that there's a strange person next to us. And so people that infrequently have someone sleep over because they're casually dating, it can be hard to fall asleep. And that's when maybe you want to do a little sleepy time tea, take a little bit of a sleep aid. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it needs familiarity. Then what happens is while we sleep, some really powerful bonding chemicals can occur and we get familiar and comfortable with the body near us, next to us, maybe the sound of their sleeping, their smell. But there's ways around that. We learn this also with pets. If a pet uh, need surgery, you can sometimes provide a t-shirt with your smell on it. So when they're in recovery, they can cuddle up to that and they can be soothed by being reminded of you. We can also do that as individuals. I think it's also really sweet when someone's traveling or maybe in a long distance relationship to send something that smells of you, to remind them of you. We can also do things symbolically, other kinds of gestures that you know remind them that we're still with them even when we're not physically present. That's the beautiful part of humanity. We have memory and we can also symbolize, which means we don't always need everything literally there in concrete material form but you know symbolically we can still have that psychological experience that's why i love psychology we can still be very present and connected to people and things and experiences when they're maybe not literally there we can close our eyes and think of them and daydream and when we think of things we excuse me when we think of things or we have you know some kind of trigger around a historical event or person it's as though we're there and we're flooded with the same feelings and emotions sometimes that's good sometimes that's bad it's the beauty of it you know and if we use that to help us we can use this really powerful tool um also this is fascinating Wells Fargo Bank is banning TikTok from employees' company phones. This also is happening with Amazon, and this is due to privacy and security concerns. We should all learn something from that. <laughs> if these companies that have smart security advisors are saying TikTok is not safe, we all might want to take a little bit of a heads up from that. Uh, 
Different ways for people to use a Trojan horse to get into your phone and access to your information. So these things are something that we can all learn something from. I think that that's actually really heavy heads up. I don't have TikTok. I don't necessarily relate <laughs> to that. Uh, not that there's not a place for it. There's amazing things on there. Have fun, do your thing. It's just not my jam. I, I, I have enough. <laughs> I have, what do I have? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and a Snapchat that I absolutely never use because, uh, you know, I'm... I'm burnt out. I publish articles on my Medium page. So also go check that out. Uh, Medium, Dr. Donahue, that'll come up. I think it's also on my website, drdonahue.com. But yeah, I have a Medium page where I publish some of my articles. They're published in other places as well. I have my radio show, my live stream show, and then those other social media accounts. I'm done. I cannot produce any more content for the world. But yo, people love it. Also remember, Black Lives Matter. They still matter. And so we still want to consider buying black owned. I did that with some vegan cookies the other week. Did it also with some vegan donuts. It's a lot of food purchasing. But I was saying that I try to go for black owned first, then queer owned. And if I can find black queer owned, bam, that's like the double threat right there. But we still want to pay attention to these things. There's still a lot of exploited, marginalized individuals that need our care and Supports also during the time of Corona. So spend that money, spend that money. Also hot contested debate going on in social media and also in the news is whether or not it's safe to return to schools. Trump is saying it is, but what's interesting is as the Corona numbers uh, skyrocket, that would indicate to me that it's not. I'm an advocate of looking out for mental health and public health first. We will be fine missing out on a school year or a school semester. All of those things can be re restudied or often just some things can be left out of the curriculum. Look, I think education is vastly important. I, I did a lot of it. I did a master's program, two doctoral programs, many certifications. But having said that, you know, when we talk about grade school and high school, a lot of those things are things we're never going to use again. I, I, I'm, we're also in the day and age where you can Google things. I don't know that you need to learn how to memorize things that you can Google. And that's what a lot of earlier education is about, a lot of memorization. Not that there's not a lot of important things learned there. I'm not, I'm not knocking early education, but I am saying we can let go of maybe memorizing state capitals and some other things that aren't that important in order to look out for you know, psychological and physical safety, because remember those students return home and there's a lot of schools and summer camps and church groups that are shutting down due to 80 plus infections for people with Corona. So I don't think we're ready to go back to school. And so I advocate for parents to really push back on that and teachers as well. Teachers aren't feeling safe and they're not always empowered to push back on that. I'm also seeing that with some friends that are servers saying, I don't feel safe going to work, but I'm forced to. Also for financial reasons, I wish that we were having better loan programs, but they don't want to lose their jobs, but they're not necessarily feeling safe going back. So these are things we have to consider. I'm not back in my office. I'm not feeling ready to be around multiple individuals who are doing God knows what when they're not around me, right? Because remember, everything we do out in the world, we kind of bring back. Stuff matters. All right, question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page and the stories, as always, weigh in on that. And then we'll be doing some DMs. Have a great show plan. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we got our first guest, Dr. Jen Wider with us. Dr. Jen, how are you? I'm good, Chris. Thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm a little <laughs> bummed. Uh, California, we just started the rollback. Just as I thought, there was like a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. We're doing a little bit of a rollback over here. Yeah, unfortunately. You know, I was just saying that I think it's going to be very difficult to get this virus under control until we have a solid therapeutic and a vaccine online because... You know, we're experiencing such different things on different sides of this country. Whereas, you know, the last time we spoke, uh, New York and the tri-state area were more of the epicenter of this disease. It's now really shifted dramatically to the other coast, to California, to Texas, to Arizona, Alabama, some of these, South Carolina, some of these, you know, uh, states are experiencing 
very large numbers of COVID-19 in places that people didn't think it was a reality because they only saw it on you know, television or on different media sources of hitting different areas. Once it hits your area and you know people that are affected, it starts to become more of a reality. So um, I think Governor Newsom made a good call. It's just incredibly frustrating for a lot of people because, you know, Chris, everyone has quarantine fatigue and, and a lot of people feel like enough is enough. Yeah, I'm definitely happy we have Newsom. He's definitely making the tough calls. Um, what are your thoughts about vaccine? I, I keep reading differing thoughts. So I guess give us your on record, off record. When, when do you think at best and at soonest we could see something? You know, there are a lot of global efforts right now towards the vaccine. You know, we've seen a lot of different studies coming from different areas across the world, essentially working very diligently, trying to come up with a vaccine. There was a very good study in the New England Journal this morning, Chris, um, out of the University of Seattle, where they showed a very robust neutralizing antibody response to one of these vaccines. Um, it was a double dose. And people who took the vaccine, there were 45 uh, volunteers the response, the immune response was very robust and stronger than someone who has just been affected by the disease. The amount of immune response the person was able to mount was significant. Um, so that is a great study. There have been studies on you know, different mammals, on pigs, on uh, chimpanzees, on mice. There have been other studies on a lot of human you know, volunteers. The issue is how quickly can we streamline one of these vaccines through the FDA and then once it's approved, Chris, of course, the challenge is going to be ramping it up to uh, to provide it for an entire population. Will we be at capacity to roll this out? My thought is just from reading all of the research that we will see something viable, hopefully in the fall, definitely by the end of 2020 in December. But it may only be rolled out to first responders and very vulnerable people. Will we be able to roll this out nationwide by the end of 2020? Probably not, but hopefully... You know, if all goes well, Chris, if some of these are efficacious, some of these efforts are efficacious and they work well, hopefully by the new year, we're going to see some some other you know tricks in the bag, the trick bag in our arsenal to fight this virus. OK, I can take that. That That's not bad. That's not bad news. You know, we've been in this for so long thus far. You telling me the end of the year, maybe the beginning of new year, like I can hang in that long. The only and we don't have to unpack this, but the only people we're going to be worried about at that point are the anti-vaxxers. So we're going to have to figure that one out. <laughs> You know, and of course, that's going to be a challenge also. And there, you know, it's funny because I've spoken to a lot of doctors, actually, who will probably be offered this vaccine early on before all of the human trials are back in. They may be used in human trials. And some of the doctors feel like they would rather, you know, take their chances with COVID-19 and not be vaccinated with a with a vaccine that has been widely tested. Remember, we're really pushing this vaccine effort to go through very quickly. You usually see years and years of clinical data before it's launched, you know, in a widespread capacity like this. Um, that's going to be another issue. But hopefully, you know, all eyes are on this vaccine effort. All global eyes are on it. Hopefully the World Health Organization, the CDC and other public health institutions that we can make sure this is going to be safe once it is rolled out for the general public. We'll be right back with Dr. Jen Wider to talk more about COVID updates. All right, we're back, Dr. Jen Wider. And let's let's weigh in on this one. Here's a, here's another controversial topic. So God bless our uh, Secretary of Education. Uh, oh. Here, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my thought as well. Here... <laughs> 
Here in the OC, the Department of Education just voted to send kids back to school and wait for it. There's going to be no use of masks, and they're not going to mandate social distancing. Then we have Missouri, who has students signing and family signing death waivers. So oh. weigh in on, I know, heart, it's, it's heartbreaking. I, yeah. I, I'm not behind this, but I want a medical expert to weigh in on this. So what is your opinion about our readiness to go back to school and the safety of such a thing? It's, this in itself lies our biggest challenge as a society, right? We, we know that we want to get our schools back. The government is pushing to get the schools back in person because it's a way to jumpstart our economy. Parents can't work if their kids are home. You know, it's one of those uh, catch-22s. But from a medical standpoint, these college campuses are going to be massive places for infection. There are so many points of contact, Chris. You're talking about a population that has an invincibility complex. Even if you social distance these kids and take the measures that need to be taken, right? If you social distance, if you wear masks, if you do, you know, stations that have Purell and other hand sanitizers, the professors are teaching behind plexiglass at some of these universities, that's some of these plans. Um, this is going to be a major challenge for this country moving forward. And in my opinion, and we've seen it already, it's not just Missouri, you've seen Football teams come back in Texas and Alabama. Those kids were tested, and many of those students were coronavirus positive. Even though these populations are low risk, remember, we, we've seen all cases where people in their late teens, 20s, 30s have gotten sick with no underlying risk factors, and we've all scratched our head. The, the overwhelming majority of people getting very sick with this disease remains people that are elderly, remains people that are immunosuppressed. However, there are these outlier cases that we can't predict. But these kids are vectors, you know, and, and they can infect the working population on the college campuses. They can affect uh, the professors. And then you have a super spreading event. Can you quarantine these kids in a place, you know, if you have a building that's just a COVID-19 building on a college campus? And then what about the health centers, Chris? The Washington Post just ran an, an, a very interesting article about how health centers are not the, ro the most robust models for, for health treatment in this country. A lot of health centers on college campuses are not affiliated with hospitals, especially on small campuses, and they're easily overwhelmed with the flu or with a rise of like measles on a college campus. Imagine, imagine a major outbreak of COVID-19. So I think we need to tread very carefully. The CDC has outlined a plan to get us back online. I know that President Trump is now undermining this plan and trying to undermine Dr. Fauci, which is also contributing to a lot of confusion. But I think that in order to get these universities up and running, we must, must maintain social distance. Kids, the students need to be spaced properly. You need to have hand sanitizing. You need to have masks without a doubt, or we're going to see real outbreaks and real centers for this continue to perpetuate through, through the fall into the winter without a doubt. Yeah, lives matter. And when I'm looking at the percentage that Betsy DeVos threw out there as to how many people would pass, it, it, even even one is too soon for me. And even a mental health perspective. Look, education's important, but people's physical health and a pandemic have to come before that. So, uh, Dr. Jen Wider, thank you so much. Uh, people can find you across all socials at Dr. Wider and at drwider.com. Thank you, as always, for being a part of the show. Thanks so much. Have a beautiful night. Coming up next, we're sliding into the DMs. All right, now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Dear Dr. Chris, my partner and I have been together for four years. We've been talking about getting married, starting a family, engaged. I know she's been expecting a proposal and a ring, and with all of our friends in their mid-30s getting married and pregnant, she's been more vocal at me about when. 
I've been ring shopping and money's also tight right now for uh, due to a few costly setbacks and I want her to have a nice ring. She knows this, but is pressing a bit and reacts like I'm letting her down. How do I let her know that I love her, but that she's killing it with the pressure? Ah, yes. Well, I'm sad that there's pressure for you know people to get married when they're not ready or to spend money on a wedding or a ring when they're not ready due to someone's age or what their friends are doing. Because again, that's not, that's not what it's about. <laughs> You know, marriage and relationships and levels of commitment should be based on desire, what you want, not based on what everyone else is doing and you not having the self-esteem or the confidence to push back on that. So your partner's lacking a little confidence because she's feeling as though she needs to go along with social norms and that's never healthy. That's not the reason to do it. So I support you in being honest with where you're at. I love you. I don't need to spend money I don't have or push forward into an engagement that I'm not ready for to prove that. And that has to be acceptable. And if this person wants to end a relationship where they have everything they want due to you know signing a paper and a piece of jewelry, which carries a lot of symbolism, but the love should come first, well then good to know. Good to know that it's that conditional. I appreciate the power of social norms, but if you're not financially ready, you have to set that boundary. And this person has to learn how to honor that. And you know, look, if she's really wanting the ring, tell her to, to chip in. We don't look, it's 2020. We don't need to follow sexist traditional norms where one gender has to be responsible for purchasing the ring. I don't even know what your gender is, but it shouldn't be on your shoulders. So look, if this person's pushing for it, let them participate in helping make it happen. But no, it does not have to be on your shoulders due to your gender or due to their interest. Um, this isn't love and that's not psychologically healthy. And I, and I don't advocate for that. So you have to have that honest conversation. Listen, I love you. And clearly that's demonstrated by the fact that we've been together in the ways we have and how our relationship goes, but I'm not ready and you're making me feel very uncomfortable and unsafe and you're asking me to move into something I'm not ready for and spend money I'm not prepared to spend. And that has to be acceptable. Here's another one. Dear Dr. Chris, my boyfriend and I have been living together for a few years and we have much different living habits. I'm very clean and organized and he's not. Gets on my nerves and I clean and organize things, but he tears through our place when he's looking for something and he just leaves it that way. I don't know if he'll ever change or desire organization. He says he does. And I can't live in chaos. I want to continue to live with him, but how? I'm not trying to change him. It's pretty, uh, I'm not trying to change him, but it's pretty inconsiderate to me. I fantasize about getting my own place. Uh, we had a question like this. I think it was last week. Listen, if you want it cleaner than they do, then handle that we're not all going to have the same interest and level of cleanliness and there's no right level. And I don't want you to personalize. Everyone has a right to living in the world in the way that makes sense to them. Yes. Healthy people do take into account how the way they live impacts others. So it is appropriate for you to want this person to kind of be a little more aware of how they impact you, but there's no right level. And so you could try doing it their way. Maybe you need to learn how to settle down and let the place maybe not be as tidy as you want. You know, we have this weird idea that whoever's tidier, that that should be the standard. And if that's not correct, they're allowed to live in less of a um, maybe tightly knit, obnoxiously clean way. So this is something you have to sit down and talk about. But again, if they're like, look, I'm cool with how I am, well, then it's on you to, to handle that cleanliness. Problem solved. Honestly, I really do say that often. You know, one of us is going to be more interested in this, someone else interested in that. One person be more willing to set the social agenda. Someone else is more willing to maybe handle mealtime. That's fine. And so you're going to handle more of the cleaning, let them handle more of something else, you know, over offload something onto them that, you know, falls under the heading of something you're not really interested in taking care of and doing, you know what I mean? So 
that's just kind of how that goes. That's part of a relationship, right? Them not living necessarily in the way we want to live, which is why we casually date before we move in together to really assess that. So look, here's the learning lesson. Figure that out on the front end. I'm sure you visit each other's places. You knew, you know how they like to live. And when someone lives with you, they get to continue to live that way. Again, if they're open to changing, awesome. But if this person's like, hey, I'm cool how it is, well, then it kind of falls on you. Uh, if you do want to get your own place, ah, sure, go do it. It's 2020. We're making radical moves these days. You know what I mean? But again, I don't want a relationship to fall apart over level of tidiness. And if you're willing to step up and do it, step up and do it. Uh, all right, that's that. Question of the night's up on our Loveline IG page. We're going to break that on down later in the show. So uh, some time to weigh in on that. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And now we've got our next guest, Lori Woodley, founder and CEO of All It Takes. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you. Um, great to be here. And I'm doing I'm doing well. We're in a crazy time. So, you know, it's an understatement. minute by minute. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an understatement. I thought we were pushing forward. Newsom rolled us back as he should. But uh, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel kind of dimmed a little bit, but we're hanging in there, right? We're going to be fine yeah. out here. Um, so I was looking at your website and not only is it beautifully comprehensive and I want to hear more about the work you do, but I loved, you had a few mission statements on there that I love, but one of them I wanted to just quote, cause this is actually the work I try to do in the world. And what I really want people to be inspired to do as well as you said, each of us has a responsibility to humanity and our planet to be part of a sustainable, positive change. And, mm -hmm. and I love that. And it looks like a lot of the work you do is around children. And I think that, as they say, that that's a really beautiful foundational place to try to start some of the skill building that we need. So tell us a little bit about what All It Takes does. Well, just as you um, read there, we are, you know, about purposeful action. Uh, and we believe that we can inspire kids, actually empower them to do this young. In fact, uh, you know, I come out of 28 years as a school counselor and our kids are so resilient and they have so much capacity that we are not really tapping into. And so often we don't give them the credibility for the power and the amazing pieces of life they can offer. And so we're, I believe in that. And so we teach from that. And what happens is they rise to every occasion always. And you know, they're going to be our future. They're, you know, 25% of our current population and 100% of our future. How can we not be investing in them fully right now? Yeah, 100%. And, and just on, on the later in life end, as someone who does a lot of marital and couples therapy, I unfortunately see the impact of a generation or a uh, culture that we raise that doesn't have a lot of emotional literacy, communication skills. And I saw that that's also something that's a big part of your program. So talk to us about that. I love the key words because you said that thriving and the program is about looking at excellence around socialization, academics, but also emotional health, teaching empathy and compassion. That warms my heart because we need so much more of that. Yeah, that is, that's really my wheelhouse is emotional literacy, social emotional learning, emotional intelligence, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, compassion is empathy in action. And we're not, I, I am concerned over 28 years, I left education to do this full time because I'm concerned about the amount of kids not capable of taking ownership of their lives at 18. That doesn't mean that they're independent and don't need us anymore, but that they have the resolve. They know they're 18. They know life is kind of in their hands to direct. And they're really not, in my opinion, um, not prepared for that way too often. And we see it in, 
you know, first year college dropouts at alarming rates. We see it at, you know, parents I work with have their kids at 25, 28, 30 sitting on their couches. And, you know, I'm all about being in support of each other, but serving our kids and not saving them because life is hard. Look at the pandemic we're in right now. It's hard. And it is. We're not changing what is. What we can change is how we deal with what is. Beautifully and said. The, the capacity we have to do so. Yeah. And I just like what you said in the beginning as well. We're recognizing that children have more resilience, where I, I, I believe we often live in a culture where we disregard the capacities that children have and we really yeah. downplay them. So I like the idea of really kind of instilling more. Yeah. And we can teach it. And then when you give them the space, the amount of feedback they can give us is so fabulous. They see so clearly what's really happening. They can articulate what they're feeling. It's more us not really giving them the space to explore those things. And when we do give them the space, when we step back and understand that they have something to say, if we invite them in rather than push them away, then we find magic because they're so elevating for us. We'll be right back with Lori Woodley to talk more about emotional literacy with children and also the impact of isolation due to COVID. All right, we're back. Lori Woodley, founder and CEO of All It Takes. And, and right now talking about COVID-19 and the self-isolation with the pandemic, what are your biggest concerns with the impact it's going to have on children? My biggest concerns, besides all the ones that we're seeing, you know, we're worried about some kids are safer in school than they are at home. I mean, that's, those are just alarming physical concerns. But my concern is, and my hope, I, I need to say, and my hope is that we, we won't give them the emotional intelligence boost that they need right now. That instead of taking this time as a precious moment that maybe we wouldn't have asked for, but we have, to elevate their capacity, to teach them to cook, to teach them to be a contributor around the household, to teach them you know, to explore the nuances of who they individually are. That, my concern is that we won't use this time to really help develop those skills. The academic piece is by district across the nation, that's varying, you know, how well schools are equipped to handle it. But what we have at home is an ability to help them understand their efficacy and step powerfully into their purpose and their possibility. And I'm hopeful that that can happen and nervous that maybe it won't happen as much as we, we would wish. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And sadly, some of the outcomes, positive or negative, we're not going to necessarily see them as of yet, but we will soon. And, you know, just before we close out, all it takes, you offer a lot of you offer a lot of resources. So there's things there for educators, things there for families, and it works to also uh, serve youth and youth influencers. That was interesting to hear about the youth influencers. Yeah, youth influencers are anybody who has any kind of reach to kids. If you're a piano teacher for 50 minutes a week, you have, in my opinion, an obligation to be a part of elevating their potential. And if we have them for six hours a day as a teacher, if we have them on a sports team, and of course us as parents, we have this beautiful opportunity to be a part of their social emotional development. And there's a lot of finger pointing, that's the parent's job, that's the teacher's job, how come the principal's not doing it? And if we could embrace that it's all of our job to 
really help our kids see what they are capable of and then really help them with a hand out, but not a saving of them. Every one of us together can really lead a future of youth who step into being able to navigate their world and our world because they will be taking care of us. Yeah, thank you for saying it like that because I think I agree with that wholeheartedly. More of a collectivity-based mindset where anytime you interface or interact with another human being, especially a child, you have the capacity to positively influence them. Let's take that seriously and take that accountability. Yeah, I believe it's a mandate. Beautiful. Let's do it. Allittakes.org is where people can go to get more information. Lori Woodley, thank you so much. And also thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Really appreciate the time with you. Have a, have a good night. afternoon. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. You can catch more of Dr. Jen Wider and Lori Woodley on I'm Listening, our mental health show that airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time for Question of the Night. Question of the Night. According to a new study, broken heart syndrome has increased 7.8% since the beginning of the pandemic. Broken heart syndrome is a temporary heart condition that is brought on by stressful situations and emotions. I love this. So the question of the night is, how have you been coping with your stress and emotions since March? And this is that whole conversation about self-care and coping. Coping is whatever method we use to get through difficult emotions. It can be food, it can be sex, it can be alcohol. Self-care is when we're doing things that are in service of making us better and nourishing us. So coping mechanisms can be positive, they can be negative. Self-care is always positive. Self-care always leaves you feeling better off, not worse off. If it's something you're using to cope that might have a negative impact, that would just be a coping mechanism, not self-care. Now it's not that coping mechanisms aren't inherently even necessarily positive or negative. It depends on the person, it depends on the outcome, it depends on the context. And we often shame things that I don't think are bad or wrong, such as you can use sex or masturbation as a way to cope or self-soothe or deal with emotions, and you're allowed to emotionally eat. That's right. Some people say we inherently accept emotional eating. Well, that must be bad. No, no, it's okay to eat food to deal with your emotions. There's That's not a misuse of it. Oftentimes, the problem is that we have shame and guilt around the weight gain, and it's okay to gain weight. So the question of the night is, how have you been coping with your stress and emotions since March? First person said, just fine. This is all part of a bigger plan. Ah, there's the positive spin. I'm glad that that worked for you. For some people, that can feel like toxic positivity, right? Like a really minimizing, you know, not not fair spin on some people struggling because not everyone's thriving, but I'm glad you are. Someone else said, as far as question of the night, how they've been coping, I started meditation and I picked up a hobby of longboarding. That's interesting. I haven't ever considered that. And I do live near water, but longboarding, how beautiful. I mean, that itself probably is very meditative, right? Not just the meditation itself, but also longboarding. I mean, remember meditation, is a, is, a, is a word that we usually associate with sitting still, but there's walking meditation, there's activity-based meditation. So, you know, we can use that word in a very broad sense, but um, I love that longboarding. Someone else said, as far as cope mechanisms that they use for stress and emotion since March, someone said, definitely been exercising more. It's been nice to get out and feel a little sense of normalcy. I'm assuming when you say get out, you're either exercising outdoors or you were someone who was able to get into the gym because some gyms were open for a minute there. You had to wear masks and gloves and whatnot. Um, that's that's how it was in California. I know in other states, God bless, they're just like, it's free for all like Florida. But here we had to do that. They've since closed down the gyms again. So now you can't go at all. But yes, movement and exercise is so important for mood, for physical health. Um, you don't have to you know overstress yourself. 
off, just have to get out and move, find some form of movement or exercise that feels good to you in your body and uh, do your thing. But I love that. Yeah. Exercise is definitely something that helps me. I always have a lot of uh, excess energy. And so that's been helpful. Someone else said here in Alberta, you can sign up for daily emotional and self-care texts. And honestly, that's been helping. I have not heard of that. I like that though. Daily emotional and self-care text. And why I do like that is it reminds you. It's really easy to get caught up in our day or in whatever emotions we're going through. And we forget that we can have a little more input or control over the way certain things impact us. We have we forget to kind of create benchmarks. And so I love people the night before or the day they wake up to maybe build in self-care, to choose how they're gonna cope that day, set up a structure. But I love that, getting little texts to remind you. What a powerful tool. I like that. Question of the night was, how have you been coping with your stress and emotions since March? Someone said, trying to be in more contact with my family has been helping. Since we can't see each other, it's been nice to talk a little more than normal. I love that. And that's sometimes people be available. People might be reaching out that you haven't heard from in a while or more so than you're used to. Be open to that if they're healthy. You know, be people are lonely and they're looking just to connect, to be seen. And Thank God for technology, but I told everyone, connect with at least three people a day if you can. Find three people. And there's so many different ways we can do that, right? It can be FaceTiming, it can be texting, it can be picture video sharing, it can even be over social media. That's why I'm glad we have it. For a lot of people, social media is a really good way to make new friends and to build community. A lot of communities been built, shared uh, identity, shared activity, shared interests. So don't, you know, don't negate the possibility of that. Just need to connect. Somebody else said, I've definitely felt more like, I, excuse me, I've definitely felt like a loneliness since the pandemic started does feel like a broken heart that's right you know we connect individuals we thrive when we're in different forms of relationships doesn't have to be sexual or romantic social ones familial ones and a lot of us are feeling disconnected we're not able to get out connect with people uh, sometimes just being out in the world, seeing others moving around can feel like a level of part of something, community or socialization. So I appreciate that now that we're not able to really get out and see anyone. And if you're self-isolating alone, we forget that some people are all on their own. Others are with family members or someone they're dating or roommates, but there are some people that are all on their own. So just make sure you're connecting to people, people maybe that you haven't kept up with or people you've wanted to get closer to try that. I'm also an advocate of the dating apps. People are building and finding love and romance through this time, non-traditional forms of dating. So don't rule out the possibility of using dating apps and really getting some social intimacy needs met that way. It's a really powerful thing. Finally, we'll stop on this one. Someone said, trying to look forward to things, planning trips for early next year, even though they might be canceled. It's helping. I bet. I appreciate that. It helps you hold a little hope, adds a little excitement, plan some trips. And if it gets canceled, you'll push it back. But I like the idea of you kind of have that in front of you, something to think about, something to work towards. I don't think that's a bad idea. You might even be able to get some really good um, rates by booking it now. You know, and a lot of places are being really flexible, hotels and um, airlines and things like that. But uh, that's actually a really good idea. Have something kind of ahead of you. All right, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world, and we want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. These are some long ones. <laughs> hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline. So I've been proud of myself for my active effort in quitting toxic monogamous behavior. All thanks to your show. I only wish my boyfriend did the same. So I don't mind him liking other girls' pictures on Instagram anymore. Um, however, when it's me 
that wants to post a sexy or revealing pic. He doesn't like it or appreciate it like he does with other people's pictures. When I've asked him about this and said like, why does it bother you so much and why is it okay for other women to do it? He just says it's disrespectful to him. He's like, why do your family, friends, and coworkers need to see you half naked? Is this a double standard or does he have a point? So this is a fascinating topic. Everyone, you know, look, first off, let me, let me, let me be really broad in my answer. We're allowed to want attention. It's part of just being a human being. Nothing wrong with that. I do appreciate when you're in a relationship, often people think that sexuality and arousal and flirtation is reserved just for them. It's actually quite an impossible standard, right? Because it's okay to be out in the world and have someone smile, wink, wave. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As long as we have boundaries, if that's a commitment you've made, I think it's okay to move through the world, allowing people to acknowledge attractiveness in each other and whatnot. It's one of the tools I actually have couples use. I say, go home, you know, with that energy and use that sexually with your partner. Use that arousal and that energy to really kind of supercharge the relationship that you have with your partner. So it's really just about understanding what's going on. Is is the relationship not feeling strong and solid? Um, why is he feeling so threatened, right? Because sometimes sometimes there's a maybe a phase of the relationship where things are feeling weak and fragile. Maybe you don't want to post that. But I do think it's a good question. Why, what's the reason why you're posting it? Maybe you can say it to him, um, I feel really good about how I look, I'm working on body positivity. I want to post this photo of myself. I feel good about it. Um, but, it, you know, I don't think there's really a solidly right answer. Is it a double standard? Um, no, because I don't want people to drop the bar for, you know, what they hold themselves accountable to based on where someone else is. And so you might be further along in the work where you're comfortable with him liking pretty girls' pictures and living his life, but he's not exactly where you are and he's still struggling and feeling troubled by it. So maybe support him where he's at and don't post those pictures. Get attention from other places in other ways. But if that's something that's really powerful for you, then you draw the line and you say to him, listen, I know that makes you uncomfortable, but that's important to me. It's okay that I frustrate you sometimes and just and let you down. Uh, know that you can trust me and there's nothing happening outside of that and around that but this is something that's meaningful for me to do and uh, kind of take it from there, have a conversation. But I want everyone's feelings to be honored as best as we can. We can't always though. Uh, here's another one. Hey, Dr. Chris, I need your help. I'm worried. Oh man, we're going to skip this. What's another lockdown relationship issue? <laughs> uh, we'll say this one. Dear Dr. Chris, I just got out of a difficult relationship and I've been feeling asexual for a while. I'm staying with my mom during isolation. She expressed something similar. Her complex relationship ended a year ago, but she had mentioned feeling uncomfortable with her body. Neither of us experienced any kind of sexual abuse, so I'm wondering if you have any insight on why such a big mind-body disconnect happens. Oh man, there's so many reasons why we feel the way we do about ourselves, others, and our bodies, you know? And right now, when we're not really participating in the world in the ways that we are, it's really easy for certain elements to have more pressure or to feel more fragile. We move through the world often doing different things that really bolster us, and it makes us not really care about some of these other pieces. But right now, all we're left with really is ourselves. And uh, so it puts a little more pressure on how we feel about ourselves. And it's, it's, it's understandable that with a lot of downtime, we can kind of really zero in and overly focus on that. Often, like I said, we have other things that bolster us, but also we have things that distract us. And right now we're all being forced to have a new relationship with our bodies because of a lot of downtime or not engaging in the, a lot, the same amount of movement or fitness activities that we like or based on some eating patterns or habits. And so be kind with yourself. Just allow yourself to be where you are. Nothing is quote unquote wrong. It's okay to be in that stage in that phase that will shift and change. So the answer is just love yourself. Let go or just be neutral about yourself. But nothing's bad. Nothing's wrong. 
uh, the reason why is quite complex. Just know that again, the world's going to shift and change at some point. But right now you're being forced to just really apply more loving kindness with yourself. It also might be a sign that maybe you have a little too much downtime if you're overly focused on these small, minute details, which I think all of us can relate to. We're overly nitpicky about maybe ourselves, our relationship, the home, our partner. And now's the time to be a little soft and a little more gentle, you know, if we're all going through that. All right, sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore the confidence. That's our show. We'll be back on Monday, 7 p.m. Pacific. 10 p.m. Eastern. All of our shows are podcasted at We Are Channel Q and Radio.com. Monday, we're going to be talking about how to learn to love your body throughout this quarantine, how, how to learn to love that quarantine 15, 20, 25, 30, or however your body is, whatever weight you're putting on, because that's mental health. As always, thanks for hanging out. Y'all have a beautiful week.